Well, welcome everybody. My name's Ron Esposito. I am with AAA Northeast. I'm a traffic safety specialist. With me today is a, is a colleague and a very good friend of mine, Andy Anderson. Uh, he is the leader of the New Jersey Teen Safe Driving Coalition, along with Community Outreach Coordinator for the New Jersey Bike and Walk Coalition today. Uh, Andy, we share a common background. We did crash investigations. And in your opinion, what is the number one factor that takes a crash to the level of, of possible or fatality? Uh, well, thank you, Ron. It's it's nice to see you and, and talk to you today. Um, you know, when it comes to causing crashes, uh, everyone will point to the number one cause is, is distraction. But when it comes to what makes them more severe than others, it's absolutely speed. Mm. Okay. Well, that's what we're here to talk about today. So what can we do to get people to slow down? Well, you know, having a, the, the law enforcement background, um, you and I spent a lot of time going out there and running radar and, and pulling people over. And, um, you know, we would think in our limited view that that would be, uh, that would be enough, but it's, it's really not. We're not doing, uh, where people are still speeding. And, and um, you know, since I retired and I, and both you and I have, have gone out and broadened our, our horizons as far as uh, what causes speed, I think is the, it's, it's the idea of what speed is and the difference between speed and speeding is the mm -hmm. issue. And I think we need to do more with the education and, and there's a lot of engineering that we can do. Excellent. With the next slide. So, you know, I, I, I've noticed that I think we all look at speed differently. I think that uh, in some cases, you know, we're driving uh, in, a, uh, say, on the parkways and, and we're doing 65, 70, 75, and we're just floating along with traffic and we're not really realizing what risks we're, we're, we're creating for ourselves and other drivers by speeding. So I just, I want to say this, uh, Andy, I saw this presentation a few years back and uh, I'm going to say personally, it changed the way I viewed speed and driving and speeding. So take it away. I, I agree. Absolutely, Ron. Uh, it's changed the way I drive and, and how I um, conduct myself on the road. And it was a real eye opener for me. And um, I started looking at this problem when I started working, uh, retired and started working with other individuals that uh, either traffic engineers or educators and, and things about um, making the road safer for all road users. And uh, I have to say that law enforcement, we had a pretty auto-centric or windshield view of, of car and driving. I agree. Um, and, and that's not really the right way to look at things. Um, the idea is that we, our journey is, is, is the goal of our journey is to get to our destination safely. How fast we get there really, really doesn't matter because if we don't get there and, and you and I both know this, if we don't get there, then, you know, what, what's, what's wrong with this problem? Um, next slide. So. The first myth or, or uh, thing that we wanted to talk about is the idea that most people think that as long as I stay under 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, 
police officers will genuinely leave me, leave me alone. And it, it is a myth because it's going to depend, our enforcement efforts are going to depend more on the location and the crash risk to others rather than how fast you're going. But the problem is has made it worse is that we and other traffic engineers also use this archaic idea of the 85th percentile speed. We look at, uh, we do traffic studies and speed studies of a road and we see how fast cars are going and we kind of look at with 85% of the, the speed or 85% of the people on the road are doing this certain speed, then that makes it okay. It could be over the speed limit. So are we not allowing people to drive faster? And we're not taking into consideration the speed in the environment and how that speed can affect vulnerable roadway users like pedestrians and bicyclists. So, you know, 85th percentile speed, I can speak for law enforcement or, or I, and, and I'm, I'll speak to traffic engineers, let's throw that out because that's not, that's not working for us. Next slide. Um, and the reason why it's not working for us is uh, most of our crashes occur on speed on roadways that are speed limits under 50 miles an hour. That's local roads. Um, you know, I, I would I would say to you, you know, how many if the speed limit is 25, how many of you tw do 25? And I would probably find not that many do the absolute speed limit. But how fast you go over it makes a huge difference on the crash risk both to yourself and to other roadway users. Next slide. So it's speed, not speeding, because if we we ask you, you know, how fast you're going, you're going to say you're going a certain amount of speed, but I'll say, are you speeding? Oh, no, not me. I don't speed. It's the same thing. It's whatever your speed you are. Does it, you know, every time I've stopped somebody, Ron, I don't know if anybody's done said this to you. It's, oh, no, I wasn't speeding. Yeah, okay. But um, you are. So speed not speeding, speed, you have less time to avoid crashes. You have less control of your vehicle the faster you go. It lengthens your stopping distance. Not just, no, you know, if you double your speed, you don't double your, your stopping distance, you quadruple your stopping distance. It increases the likelihood of crashing because you have less time to avoid that crash or slow down. And it increases, increases the severity of this, the crash. And that's a, another argument for uh, people that want to, increase the speed limit to 70 and 80 miles an hour. Well, that's great because the roads are better, the cars are safer, but nobody's ever done anything to make our bodies withstand those crash dynamics. So the faster you go, the more likelihood you're going to be injured or injure someone else. So, um, you know, I, I just can't see the risk being worth it especially, you know, having seen what we've seen, um, things like uh, crash inju injuries, high-speed crash injuries like an aortic tear when your heart actually rips away from your body. I know it's gross, but, but we've seen that. And head and neck injuries from whiplash that cause paralysis because of the speed. You can't just take a, a human body and going 70 or 80 miles an hour and have it stop short and not have something happen to you. Next slide. So um, really when it comes to speed, we haven't really 
and and we really haven't done anything to slow people down and it's because of our perception of what what it is um and and everybody's because everybody's doing it right and again i i say to you well the speed limit is 25 you're doing 25 mm, probably not so um if we look at historically in the last few years we really haven't done anything to slow people aren't slowing down in fact in the middle of this pandemic you know less people on the road speeds went up not down so we actually put ourselves at more risk because hey i can go faster i'm going to go faster next slide so again it's everybody else it's not me so if everybody speeds how come you're passing them it's all in the matter of your perspective and where you're sitting in the car it's you know from your point of view you're doing fine from somebody else's point of view you may be going too fast and and to give you an example of that when you're driving your car you feel in control and, and you know what you're doing and how fast you're going you chose that the person sitting next to you might feel a little bit uncomfortable let's say you let your daughter or your wife drive and they're going a little bit too fast when you're sitting in that passenger seat it could be the same speed that you would choose you feel uncomfortable because you're not in control so that makes a difference um next slide i'm going to play a game with you, all of you it's called have you ever so have you ever run a yellow light have you ever had weave in between lanes to get ahead of traffic oh this person's driving too slow i gotta get ahead of them you know oh my god why go to get out of my way um, I'm late, whatever. Have you ever? Have you ever driven five miles an hour over the speed limit? Have you ever? Been angry or upset thinking traffic was moving too slowly to your likely? And 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 you feel it viscerally. You just feel that, oh, you want to go fast. And have you ever tried to beat your GPS? And I am I will fully admit it, I used to do this. Um if the GPS said I would get there at this time, I can beat that time. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I've never ever beat that time because something will invariably happen to slow me up. And then all of that time you've gained by going faster or over the speed limit, you've just lost. Next slide. So um, to give you an illustration, I found this little clip. Um, it's from a movie called Starman from 1984. And it's just, um, you know, the juxtaposition of whether you're the passenger or the driver, whether or not the things that you do are safe or unsafe. So play it. Oh my God! Look out! What are you doing? I do know the rules. Oh, well, for your information, pal, that was a yellow light back there. I watched you very carefully. Red light stop, green light go, yellow light go very fast. You better let me drive. I will drive.
So to, to give you, if you've never seen this movie before, to give you a little background, um, uh, Bo Bridges or, uh, is an alien. He's driving Karen Allen in the car. He watched her run a yellow light. And, you know, I watched you very carefully and you did it. But when he did it, it was completely different to her. And it also goes to prove that no matter what planet you're from, men think they're better drivers than women. And statistically, guys, we are not. So the first thing I want you to do to understand your speed or, or to give you a better perspective of speed is I want you to start thinking in feet per second, not miles per hour. Miles per hour are miles is a long time, or I'm sorry, a long distance, and an hour is a long time. So most of our commutes are very short. They're, they're um, uh, less than, maybe less than five miles, um, you know, in travel. So speed really doesn't give us a perspective about um, how fast we're going and things like that. So miles per hour, it's speed, it's a scalar quantity, possesses magnitude only. Let's go with feet per second. When we reconstruct crashes, um, ourselves and physics and, and traffic engineers, we don't think in speed. It doesn't work for us. We think in velocity, feet per second. It's a vector quantity, meaning it has both magnitude and direction. So I'm not getting too technical with you. The easy way to convert a speed in miles per hour is to take your speed and multiply it by 1.466. Nobody can do that in your head. So real quick, down and dirty is just to go one and a half. Whatever you're doing, in uh, velocity, just, uh, or I'm sorry, in speed, just about um, add half to that, and you'll get approximately what you're doing in feet per second. Now, when you say, well, I just looked down at my phone for two seconds. At 35 miles an hour, you're going 51 feet per second. In two seconds, you've gone 102 feet. What can possibly happen in a road in front of you in 102 feet that you weren't looking? Depending on where you are, a lot. The deer, the child, the car, the motorcycle, the bicyclist, the pedestrian, all of those things could take that opportunity to walk out in front of you thinking that you saw them, but you didn't. And at that speed, you have less time to react and less time to avoid them. Next slide. So. Let's say how fast is too fast? Could could just reducing our speed by three miles an hour make a difference? That seems like a very small uh, speed change, but let's see how that works. Our job is to reconstruct serious crashes and get evidence that may be used in court. Now this young woman landed here with serious head injuries. Following the huge force that threw her over six metres on the impact here, we can work out she was hit at 32 kilometres per hour by analysing the car and these tyre marks. So we started braking here and first saw her when he was travelling at 65. But let's change one small thing. Now he's doing 60 when he sees her. And this time, he hits her at only five kilometers per hour. She'd just have a bruised leg. 
Our stopping distance is lessened by about five metres. There's a great tip in itself. However, in the real world, there's a thing called perception reaction time. That time is 1.3 seconds. Let me show you that distance, the extra distance it takes us to stop a car with perception reaction time at a speed of 65 k's. Come and join me. Isn't this an amazing distance? In the real world, it can take us 44 metres to stop a car just at 65 k's. Yet all day, every day, I see people tailgating, even at 110 kilometres an hour, sitting five metres from the back of the car in front. It's just not on. And if you still think that tailgating's okay, have a look at this. We've got three brand new Nissan Maximas, one lead car, one car following at 65 k's with a one second gap. The third car following has a two second gap, which I think is a good thing. Okay, it's an emergency situation. Front car slams on the brakes. The second car with the one second gap just can't stop in time. But the third car with the two second gap safely stops. That's got to be a good thing. Don't tailgate. Keep a two-second gap. So when we look at that, we, we need to convert that into, um, you know, what we use. We, miles instead of kilometers and time, the time difference. They use two seconds. We use three seconds. Their perception reaction time is 1.4, uh, I'm sorry, perception reaction time uh, for them is different for us. Ours is 1.66 seconds, right? The average perception reaction time for a complex reaction, 1.66 seconds or 1.6 seconds. So it's, it's and that, what that means is it's the, um, oh shoot, you know, like add your own expletive, oh, whatever, moment when something happens and then we have to react, something une unexpected happens and we have to react. Now, if you look at the New Jersey driver's manual, they will say that um, one of the things they give you as a rule is one car length for every 10 miles an hour over the, you know, uh, of speed that you're going. Well, what's a car length? It, it's, it varies from different car to different cars. They say a car length's 20 feet. There's not that many cars that are out there that are 20 feet long. It's harder to do. I think we should be, and, and the three second rule is in there as well. We should be using the three second rule because it's very, very easy to do. We just count one, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. We have to keep that distance so that if the car in front of us does something, we have time to see it, react to it, and we have the distance to bring our car safely to a stop. Obviously, we're not doing that because of the, the number of uh, rear end collisions that we have in our, our towns, in our uh, locations every single day. So we're following too closely with not enough time to react. Next slide. And again, this just gives you an idea, depending on the type of car that you drive or vehicle that you're driving, how much does it weigh? the more uh, braking distance that you need and the more you should keep an, uh, a distance between you and the cars in front of you so that you don't end up 
riding into breaking uh, crashing into their trunk um next slide what is again what is perception reaction time perception reaction time is the um the oh shoot or whatever expletive you like to say time that you're traveling before you hit the brakes you see what happens your brain processes it maybe it's a, a a deer that runs in front of you or an animal maybe it's a pedestrian that walks out between two cars you have to react to it but before it, again let's think back in the feet per second as you're thinking about it you're still traveling a distance that thinking speed is the black um uh, line right then you have to bring your car to a stop so you're going to slam on the brakes that's most most of our go-to moves is to slam on the brakes depending on how fast you're going at 40 miles an hour you're going to need about 118 feet to bring itself to a stop if you're anywhere under that 118 feet you're going to hit the thing that you're that, that just walked out in front of you so again think of that it's not just it, it, your, what your braking distance is and your thinking distance is and think more in feet per second rather than miles per hour. Next slide. And I talked about distraction. Um, distraction exacerbates the, the speed issue because if we're not paying attention, depending on how fast we are, we may not be able to react quickly. I know that vehicle manufacturers have said that um, hands-free is the way to go. Um, but a lot of the research that AAA has done, you see in the next slide, um, has shown that hands-free uses is much, much more of a mental distraction than any of the others that you use. So the actual idea that I have to think about um, the message that I want to send, then I have to tell my uh, audio system to do it and i don't know about you but i i found that it takes me a couple of tries because they never understand me the first time and i have to go back while i'm doing that i'm not paying attention to the road my mind is on that task of sending that message or what i want to send so at that particular moment i'm distracted and i went into autopilot we can't multitask no one can multitask the brain is a serial uh, processor of information we can only do one thing at a time we're pretty good at switching some people are pretty good at switching tasks really rapidly in between tasks but when it comes to driving a car um, it's a dynamic situation so no two rides are the same no two roads are the same no two travel even if you're traveling to and from home things change, things are different, it's dynamic. So you have to be paying attention all the time. And you know, some of these things actually distract and depending on how fast you're going, will dictate whether or not that's going to be a critical error. Next slide. So we really have to look at, are we safe drivers? Let's look at this and just take a good look at ourselves. See handsome here. He thinks he's an above average driver. I'm a good driver. Yeah, I'm a good driver. <laughs> yeah, sure you are. Come on. 
You know, that's the thing. We're, we're inherently we're not bad people. Inherently, we're not lawbreakers. But we really don't see what we're doing as being wrong. Um, I, I want you to try this the next time you're out and about is to see if you're driving and somebody passes you very quickly, if you don't catch up to them at the next red light. And that's happened to me many, many, many times. People have passed me to have to get ahead of me. And then they just end up, I end up sitting next to them at the red light going, okay, this was this all worth it to you? Um, so let's look at some different speeds at different um, uh, 30 mile trip at different speeds. Oh my God, I'm gonna kill my cat. So at 55 miles per hour, um, it's gonna take you about 32.7 minutes to get to your destination. Now, this is a 30 mile an hour trip without any distractions whatsoever. I mean, without no turns, no stop signs, no red lights. Next one, 65 miles an hour. I'm gonna go 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. How long is it gonna take me? Wow, it's gonna, I'm gonna save five minutes on this trip if I go 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. The next one. So um, 75 miles an hour, I'm gonna go 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. Boy, I'm really gonna get there quick because I'm late, 8.7 minutes. 8.7 minutes. I can't walk into a Dunkin' Donuts and order a coffee in 8.7 minutes. It's not going to make it. Is it really 20 miles an hour over the speed limit? Was it really that big of a time save? But now let's do the math. Um, so you could do it for yourself, right? The formula is just you take your distance divided by your miles per hour times 60 minutes. It'll give you how long it's going to take depending on, on how far away, okay? So let's add in let's add in traffic to this. Um, let's add in traffic to it. Next slide. In reality, we have stop signs. We have other traffic. We have red lights, traffic signals. We have all kinds of things that are going on. Um, in reality. If we went 65 on a 45 mile an hour road with all of those distractions, we might save 1.9 minutes. That's why I go back to that that your um, your GPS when you're trying to beat your GPS, you may get ahead a little couple of minutes, then all of a sudden the next red light or you catch a couple of lights, you're already back and you're behind time now because of the traffic. Next slide. We're literally killing ourselves with maximum effort with little reward. That's essentially what we're doing. Next slide. What's a phantom traffic jam? The last time you were on the highway, 
where you're driving and all of a sudden traffic stopped and you're thinking to yourself, must have been a crash, must have been a, a, a construction going on. What is going on? Why is why is traffic all slowed? But then the traffic opens up and you see nothing. There was no crash. There was no construction. Nothing. What happened? This is what happened. Let's watch. You've just made your way out of a really frustrating traffic jam and you're looking around for the reason, maybe an accident or roadworks, but you can't see anything. So what in the world just happened? Mathematicians use different models to explain these so-called phantom traffic jams. One popular model likens traffic to a flowing liquid and traffic jams to a shockwave. To investigate this, Japanese researchers put 22 cars on a circular track and asked them to drive around at a steady 30 kilometres per hour. For a little while, all goes well, but it takes just one car to slightly change speed to cause problems, making the car behind slow down further and the next car back to slow down even more again. The cars begin to clump together, and this clumping effect reverberates backwards around the track like a shockwave, even leaving to brief halts at points. Theoretically, if traffic remains heavy, this travelling wave could just keep going and going forever. These invisible waves of congestion also occur in real-life traffic jams. They create a ripple effect, which doesn't go away until all cars return to the same pace. To prevent a jam, you should maintain a steady speed, so no changing lanes, no slowing down to look at things, and using your cruise control. And you can always carpool or use public transport to reduce congestion in the first place. Another potential solution is driverless cars, which are better at keeping a constant pace and which can wirelessly communicate with each other to respond to changing traffic conditions. Mathematicians help too by improving the algorithms that control our traffic lights and predicting when and where traffic jams will occur. And now, four fast facts about pesky traffic. Traffic light timings optimise movement for the majority of traffic, meaning that if you're driving against the flow, you could hit a frustrating run of red lights. Traffic psychology studies show that women cyclists are given more space on the road than men, and you're more likely to let a car in front of you if you have passengers. Using theoretical physics to understand traffic congestion is creatively called jamology. And in 2010, a 100-kilometre stretch of highway between Beijing and Tibet came to a standstill for two weeks, possibly the greatest traffic jam in history. Stuck for ideas about traffic jams? Check out our website where we have some links. And we'll see you right back here next week. So, so that traffic jam could have been caused by some way weaving in and out of traffic. Cars clumping up and then causing everyone like a spring to bunch up. It's called a cascade failure. Cascade failures happen in everything from water flow to computers. And when it happens on the roadway, it causes those fa phantom traffic jams. Next slide. And as you look with this traffic camera overhead, you can actually see the wave move back. And there was no reason for this other than 
someone caused someone else to hit the brakes, that someone else to hit the brakes, someone else to hit their brakes, because they were all following so close together with each other that one person's speed or, or, or reduction in speed affected the person behind them. If you maintain that um, distance, if you maintain a distance like three seconds, this doesn't really happen because there's room for you to adjust your speed and maintain a steady speed. And I again, that was probably the thing that was most revealing to me, that aha moment meant that I, if I just go my pace, if everyone just get, did their pace, like with what we're proposing with automated vehicles, we're all gonna get to our destination and we're gonna get there on time. So next slide. So it comes down to social norming. We have to have a different attitude towards what speeding is and what speed is because we, um, we don't believe that it's dangerous. We don't, but we believe that we're good drivers. We believe that we're gonna, um, we can handle it. We can get to our destination safely. Nothing's ever happened to me before. So what's gonna happen to me now? We don't worry, we do worry sometimes about getting a ticket, but we don't, you know, we don't worry as much about getting a ticket. We never believe that we're gonna cause a crash. Um, it's always somebody else that's gonna do it. And we don't believe that going over the speed limit is violating any social norms. Next slide. And this is actually the reality. No one's ever actually said this to me. This is, I, I did see the speed limit. I just didn't see you. Because, of course, when you see a cop, everybody slows down. And that's why our perspective as law enforcement, if we drive in a marked vehicle, is completely different than what the reality is on the roads. Because no one ever speeds when I'm in a marked patrol car. Everyone behaves as soon as I'm not around. I've seen more as a retired person driving my personal vehicle on the road, I've seen more craziness than I have when I was on the job. So again, it, it, it changed my perspective on the way and things that are going on around me. Next slide. So when it comes to speed, drivers worry more, more about getting caught than getting hurt. Um, and one of, my favorite, um, one of my favorite quotes is from Dudley Moore. It says the best safety device is a rear view mirror with a cop in it. And that's that's true. But we can't be everywhere. So the idea of us as law enforcement and doing the enforcement and slowing everybody down, it's going to save everybody is not really enough. And um, just slowing the cars down, we want people to slow down because of taking some responsibility for themselves and to avoid these kind of collisions where people are hurt or killed. Next slide. It comes down to this, are you the tortoise or the hare? Um, let's watch and see, Taste, place your bets, who's gonna win the race? See, a lot of people lost some money on that race. 
So the tortoise and a hare, it's an Aesop's fable. It's all about slow and steady wins the race or haste makes waste. Um, the next slide is what has become my favorite saying now, festina lente. Um, the meaning of the phrase is that activities should be performed with the proper balance of urgency and diligence. Um, if tasks are rushed too quickly, then mistakes are made and good long-term uh, results are not achieved. Work is best done in a state of flow in which one is fully engaged by the task and there are no sense of and there's no sense of time passing. That to me is driving in a nutshell. Um, if we all did that, we would have a lot, you know, law enforcement and people that deal with in car insurers and AAA would have a lot less work to do because we would all take care of ourselves and get there um, safely and get there on time um, without placing ourselves or other vulnerable roadway users like pedestrians and bicyclists and, and things at, at risk. So um, that really concludes my part of it. And I hope you guys have some questions and I hope I can answer them. Can't hear you. Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> I was trying to keep it quiet for you. Uh, great presentation. Thank, thank you again for that. I, I do have a question. Do you think people checking Waze and other apps are causing phantom traffic jams? Great question, by the way. I, I don't think they're causing the phantom traffic jam. It's getting in and out of traffic or weaving in and out of traffic. The person who thinks that the the parkway or the turnpike or or the you know uh, is their own personal Indianapolis 500 that okay. everybody else is going too slow and that weaving in and out now distraction wise yes waves and all those other things is a distraction um, and depending on how fast you're going makes that distraction could make that distraction even worse. All right, great. Do uh, you think that teen driving educators uh, should include this kind of thing, uh, speeding instruction along with other dangerous uh, maneuvers like following too close and passing on the right, and maybe even include their 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 physic teachers and math teachers, uh, kind of using driving as an example? See, learning how to drive is the perfect platform for cross-curriculum. This is where you can get the other teachers involved and get some people in, because people are more likely to follow a rule if they understand why it's there and, and it works in their favor. And we went through this with seatbelts for many, many, many years, right? It wasn't until everybody got convinced that seatbelts actually do save your, can save your life if you're involved in a crash that more and more people started wearing them. The same thing with these other things. We can um, we can do a better job with driver theory in that preparing our young drivers to be more careful if they understand the risks better and how to prevent these things, following too closely, going too fast. Because, you know, um, 
the leader as the leader of the teen safe driving coalition i, I follow the the crash rates for teens and it's the it's not the the teens that are involved in the gdl they're pretty good once they get their full license 18 19 and 20 year olds they're the ones that get into trouble and it's the it's the errors that you make and you learn the hard way <clears throat> i'd rather teach you ahead of time so that you don't make those errors every parent would like that yes uh, again and and by the way in new jersey i know that our teen crashes and fatalities are down but but one is too many so we have to continue down that road i have another question here and it's kind of a simple straightforward question i think i'd like to hear the answer in your opinion why is speeding dangerous it's it's crash dynamics it's um the idea that the faster you go the more damage that you'll do. Why does, uh, bad example, why does a, a motorcycle, it's a smaller vehicle, right? But it can do a lot of damage. It can do the same amount of damage going very, very fast than a very large vehicle can do because of its mass going slowly. And, and you don't need to be a physics major to figure this all out, but, the speed in which you hit an object makes a huge, huge difference in the injury severity. So, and the opportunity to avoid that crash. When you have more opportunity, I may be distracted, but if I'm going slower, I'll be able to bring my car to a stop before I hit the object in front of me because I gave myself that time by going a little slower. Yeah. I that that's a, a perfect answer. Uh, I think it it also is is to a, a very very simple mathematical equation in physics, uh, force, which is our enemy. If force is put on our bodies, our bodies get damaged. And force is mass times velocity. So uh, if you're in a three thousand pound car going at forty miles an hour, you're going to hit some, something at a lot of force. Now your body also is traveling 30 or 40 miles an hour. And if you hit the interior of the car, that force relates directly into your body. So, so speed is a direct relation to the force that your body has to absorb in a crash. So, so actually there's three collisions in a crash, right? Mm -hmm. you know, the car hits an object, right? If you're not belted in, you're still going the same speed as the car. So if it's going 30 miles an hour, you're still going 30 miles an hour. If you're not belted in, you're going to hit the steering wheel or dashboard and windshield at 30 miles an hour. Your internal organs are going the same speed. They're going 30 miles an hour. There's nothing. Once you stop going, your physical, your body stops going, they're going to continue to go 30 miles an hour. Now, 30 miles an hour, you might be okay, but 70 or 80 miles an hour, then you're going to start seeing those internal injuries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks again. A A do we have any other questions? I don't see any. Andy, I, I want to thank you so much for presenting this to us today. Uh, it it this was a, a great learning process uh, for me and for our safety colleagues as well. Uh, again, Andy Anderson, Ron Esposito from AAA Northeast, thank you very much and have a good day. Hope to I see you out there. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, AAA. And my cat thanks you. Yeah. <laughs>